Jackson. Welcome to the first ever episode of In Touch, part of the Queensland Rugby Radio podcast series. My name is Brendan Sauce-Hotel from Queensland Rugby Union. What we're going to aim to do in the In Touch podcast series is touch on all things mental health and well-being within the rugby community. And joining me for our first ever episode, we've got the QRU Mental Health Project Manager, Susie Russell. How are we, Susie? Thanks, Sauce. As well as Matt Warren-James, who's going to be one of our mental health first aid trainers. Hi, Sauce. Thanks, mate. And finally, Kai Morris, a psychologist who's also going to be heavily involved within the program. Thanks, Sauce. All right, now, folks, obviously what we're going to be discussing tonight is mental health and well-being as part of our everyday lives, starting a conversation which obviously can have a bit of a stigma around it within the rugby community, share experiences through discussions on podcasts. We're going to involve some former players and all that sort of stuff down the line, talk about how they uh, deal with mental health, um, both whilst playing post-rugby career. But to kick things off, we're going to give a bit of an overview of the program. Now, a bit of a reminder, we're going to be touching on different topics tonight that could potentially be sensitive in nature. And if you feel the need that you need to chat to someone about it, reach out to Lifeline on 13, 11, 14, or there's some other mental health support networks that we've got some information about on the Queensland Rugby website. But to kick things off, Susie, you're obviously going to be running this program from a QIU point of view. You're relatively new to the staff there. Give us a little bit of background about yourself, about Rugby Unite, and um, your role at QIU. Thanks, Source. Yeah, so I uh, recently joined the, the QIU clan uh, in February this year, um, taking on the role of the mental health project manager. So um, basically my role there is to help promote mental health and well-being and work really hard um, in conjunction with a lot of internal and external people to make rugby a mentally healthy environment for everyone that's involved, um, both as players and coaches and, and beyond with our community members. So my background is actually in performance sport as a sport and exercise scientist. So I've done a lot of work um, over the last five years or so with um, a number of elite sporting teams, um, ranging from the Firebirds, Brisbane Lions, down to Brisbane Broncos, um, and even a little bit of work in uh, V8 supercars, which is a bit left field there. Um, but my primary interest is around athlete well-being and optimising performance in healthy athletes. So... I'm currently uh, finishing up my PhD in mental fatigue and elite sport, which just looks at how a fatigued brain can influence our athlete's sporting performance and how we can manage that um, in a multidisciplinary manner um, within the sporting space. So I uh, already had a really strong interest in mental health and advocating particularly around um, understanding mental well-being and reducing that stigma that you mentioned at the start there, Source. Um, and then obviously my PhD and working in elite sport has really sparked this interest. And this role is like the perfect opportunity uh, to combine my interests around sport and also well-being um, and really make a positive impact on our rugby communities um, for now and moving forward. And I suppose given your, your field of study, um, Susie, I suppose we're at a bit of a precipice here where you're helping shape this program. Um, I mean, so while you're still sort of finishing off your PhD, um, you know, for, for anyone that studies sort of that far at university, a lot of work goes into it. How special is it to be able to apply what you've been studying um, at the tertiary level and actually creating a program to assist um, 
I suppose, the rugby community, but the wider community as well um, through, um, through this program. Yeah, I think it's a pretty um, unique and I feel very fortunate to have this opportunity. Um, it's really rare, I guess, to be able to have such an area of um, expertise, interest that you then can translate from that research setting and really make an impact. And exactly like you said, I love, like, I love working with elite athletes and at that top level, but I also really love the community impact and the great value that sport has in teaching people life lessons um, and improving their general quality of life, um, not just all about performance optimization. Um, so yeah, I feel pretty, pretty thankful for the opportunity and yeah, really looking forward to getting my teeth stuck into it over the next couple of years. All right. And obviously um, this program and, and your role, it all comes off the, the sort of initial starting point of the work that the Rugby Unite charity um, began. Um, and now for those who don't know the background there, um, Rugby Unite started after a former Queensland player, Rick Tyrrell. Um, Rick had played club rugby for, for East, for Sunnybank, went on to play for Queensland. He also spent some time in Japan, um, unfortunately, um, after he transitioned back into uh, everyday life and working life, he, he struggled with some, some mental illness and unfortunately lost that battle. And, and after that, his group of his mates came together. They set up the Rugby Unite charity. Um, and we see East and Sunnybank play for the Rick Tyrrell Cup every year. And it's a chance for the club rugby community to um, address mental health within their own clubs and within rugby. But the Rugby Unite charity as a whole is much bigger than that. And their aim is to roll out mental health first aid training throughout clubs um, around Queensland. So, Susie, do you just want to give us a little bit of insight into, um, I suppose, the background there of Rugby Unite and um, the, sort of the driving force that they provided for this program? Yeah, thanks, Source. I think it's such an important thing um, to touch on is the personal connection and I guess the drive that came, you know, from these four four normal guys who had this experience with their friend and wished um, that, you know, there'd been more education and more reduction in stigma and more advocacy for talking about mental health and, in a positive way and knowing how to reach out for support if you needed it. And what they've done in, you know, working with QRU and getting um, the Queensland Mental Health Commission to support this program as well is honestly phenomenal. And um, I guess the impact that they're going to have for many years to come and, and this charity as a whole um, and what QRU is achieving through the education uh, will only be positive for everyone um, for many years to come. I know we're going to engage the Rugby Unite guys, some of the founders there, to, to be on a later podcast, which is going to be great to chat to those guys and get some insights into what they've seen and learnt since they set up the charity. But, um, Matt, we'll throw to you, mate. Um, you're obviously going to be one of our mental health first day trainers, but your background's um, a bit different to Susie's, where you spent 10 years working as a paramedic in London. Um, yep. And I know from... Um, my partner's actually, she's a mental health nurse here in Brisbane. Mm. And um, we, we sit down and we watch a lot of the paramedic shows, including the ones in the UK. And it seems to be something that they really touch on over there in terms of the different mental health um, yep. uh, support that paramedics end up actually having to offer to people um, as the, the NHS over there sort of still has to grow and develop in this space. Is that sort of where it all started for you in terms of taking an interest in this space? Yeah, thanks, Source, and thank you all for inviting me to be on this inaugural podcast. It's a great joy to be here and, and to share some of that passion. So um, absolutely for me, I, my, my initial journey on this 
Um, started as a, a quite a young adult, I suppose, in my early 20s um, as a paramedic, and I thought it was all fun and games. Um, and it was an exciting career, but I also saw absolutely the downside in terms of um, people not um, coping with the mental strain of working as a paramedic. Um, and it wasn't, I suppose, until the end of my time in London, which was sort of 10 years, and it, which the time began with the bombs going off in London and, and sort of ended with a lot of the terrorist stuff as well. Um, and at that point, I started to really see the, the negative impact of, of people who refused to talk about or, or were unable and didn't know how to talk about their mental health. Um, and in the same way as uh, I think the four inaugural people who started the charity were talking about um, losing colleagues or friends, um, it was an experience I had as well and something then that made me very passionate about understanding this a lot more. Um, so since coming to Australia, which has been one of the greatest decisions of my life, um, also in the end stages of my PhD and, and looking at um, stress for, for undergraduate um, paramedic students going out there and in particular looking at the cultural stress and the stigma associated with, with what happens when people refuse to talk about um, mental health or are un unable to, I think is, is probably the more um, appropriate term and, and looking at that um, really impacting on, on, on their longevity of career. Um, so I suppose Susie and I connected about six to eight weeks ago now, Susie, um, just at your start. So probably you were in the beginning of your job and uh, we were connected over the idea of mental health first aid. So just a little bit of background in that. Um, I'm a mental health first aid trainer. So in the same way as a paramedic would go and deliver physical first aid, and I think many of your members would have done that at some point as being lifeguards or trainers in the workplace. Mental health first aid gives a fundamental understanding of mental health disorders. Um, and a really appropriate approach, a gentle approach of how you can engage with patients or your friends and have some of those initial conversations with people who perhaps are suffering or you're concerned about their mental health. Um, so it's around mental health literacy, understanding of the terms and the, and the conditions. It's about understanding that we're all sitting on a mental health spectrum. There's no such thing as a, in, in the way we talk is it's not a disorder. Everyone's on a spectrum and depending where you are in life and what's happened to you, you can go up and down that spectrum. Um, and it just gives us a language to start the conversation again. And I think that's what clearly is beginning to happen in, in uh, Queensland Rugby Union, which is a great thing. Um, and I'm really excited to be part of um, delivering that program. Uh, and there'll be more information online about how that's going to work. But essentially, there's going to be an online component that lasts for sort of five to seven hours. And then I'll be delivering um, two two and a half hour sessions for each course that would really engage a set of people, six to 12 people to come and talk about uh, and make sense of the material they've covered, but also talk about some of the issues that they're facing, perhaps in their clubs or amongst their friends groups or, or whatever's happening in their lives. So we come together as a community and really start to develop um, the language that we need to, to move forward and, and to really embrace mental health uh, moving forward. So that's where I'm at. All right, and Matt, I suppose I think a key message for the wider rugby community is, I think that for a lot of people, um, the message is often out there around, um, obviously, we've all got mental health, um, mm. and if there is potentially issues that we see arising, it's, it's the communication is often that it's on the individual to reach out and seek help. How important do you reckon it is to potentially empower people to spot those issues for whether it's people within their family, their friendship mm. group, their teams in a rugby sense, mm. to actually spot that in someone else? And if someone isn't willing to come forward and talk about it, actually having someone to be able to reach out and say, you know, hey, is everything okay? And start that conversation for that person and potentially help them reach that point. 
I think that's such a good point, Source. And I think um, the truth of it all is we're a social being and we're all connected to one another. So, um, and especially I think in COVID-19 and the times that we're experiencing now more than ever, I think we're realizing what it feels like when we're not actually physically together, um, but we still can connect socially. And I think it's such an important thing as a community that we take responsibility, not just for our own mental health, um, but for everyone we come um, into contact with, whether it's our, our teammates or the people we see behind serving food or at the drinks counter. It's just about asking each other, how are you? Where are you at today? And, and having and taking the time to have that conversation and spotting key signs, key symptoms in people that maybe just go, I'm not too sure about where that person is. Do I need to check in? Um, and I think that's a really healthy approach. Um, and from my approach as a paramedic for the last 15 years, um, I just wish more people would have done that. Um, perhaps even with myself and, and my colleagues to say, are you okay? Um, and I think that's just an important starting point that mental health first aid can really begin to give us the language for. No, definitely. All right. Well, Kai, we'll throw to you, mate. You're a psychologist who's got a sports and exercise master's. You've worked with a lot of athletes, coaches, support staff in the past. Um, mate, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your previous experience and um, how you sort of first sort of got involved with um, the, the Rugby Unite program and providing some support here. Yeah, no, first of all, just like Matt, I just want to say that I'm really privileged to, to be a part of this, this podcast and the Rugby Unite night program and um i suppose my my message is 100 percent um on board with what matt and susie sort of spoke about um i'm a big believer in in promoting mental health and making mental health matter um and hopefully starting the conversation with people that you know mental health isn't just mental illness you know it's a spectrum and hopefully getting to a stage where we start talking about mental health like we talked about physical physical health sorry um so my background um, I, from about grade 12, um, decided I wanted to be a sports psychologist and get in that, in that space. Um, one, I've got a, a huge passion for, for sport and, and two, I really see it as a space, not just in sport, but in high performance sort of areas where people can, um, like it's high pressure, um, and people can experience, um, you know, mental health concerns there. So coming in and, and really trying to promote well-being, as I said, make mental health matter to people and, and start the conversation. So I've been very fortunate over my time to work with some pretty incredible organisations, um, such as Cricket Australia. Um, I've worked with um, the Melbourne Storm in a, in a welfare sort of capacity in the past. And at the moment, my sort of a lot of my work is focused in with athletes um, who have a disability um, and Paralympic athletes who were in the lead up to Tokyo 2020, but now that's been pushed back to, to Tokyo 2021, um, which presents um, a number of difficulties and also advantages, I suppose, with that. Um, and aside from the, the sport and performance space, I also do a lot of work in the, the general psychology field um, I work a lot with people that are experiencing things like chronic pain or difficulties adjusting to, to, to situations such as you know a serious injury or, or other life circumstances um, and I got in, got involved in the program a little bit by by chance um, one of the practices that I work out out of the Queensland Sports Medicine Center um, Susie came and presented presented there on a PhD research and it really clicked with me and uh, I decided to reach out to Susie and we had a chat and it sort of has evolved from there. 
No, excellent, mate. And um, I suppose the key thing to think about at the moment in terms of the the nature of the COVID situation and the fact that we've got a lot of players from all different levels of sports sitting on the sidelines with a lot of uncertainty of the future, I suppose this probably um, relates a lot to, you know, we often see players at the back end of their careers once they retire, um, unless they've done some pre-planning to uh, transition into the normal work life, they often struggle in terms of such a change in routine and, what they get used to, I suppose. How important is it to be mindful of our own mental health, others' mental health in terms of our other teammates around us and actually um, look to actively work on that during this period? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, whether you're an elite athlete or, um, you know, the, the person that goes and plays on a, on a Sunday, um, you know, like, like me, the, a lot of life revolves around sport you know we've got training throughout the week we we might go and do gym sessions to, to help improve our, our fitness for sport then we've got our our weekend games where we're socializing we're being around being around people so you know our routines are typically really um ingrained around our, our sport um so when that sort of has been flipped upside down you know it can be quite tough to, to sort of deal with you know our social support um you know has sort of been pushed to the side a little bit. We're no longer going out and, and having a few beers with our mates after after the game. So it's it's extremely important to to be aware, I suppose, on our on our trigger points, you know, throughout this time and understand what some of the difficulties might be for us. And as Matt was saying before, you know, we're social beings. So making sure we're re- reaching out to our mates and, and staying connected or not just our mates, our family as well. You know, it might be someone you haven't heard from for a while and, and just send a message, check in, how's everything going, want to catch up for a, a Skype beer or something along those those lines just to check in and make sure we're, we're still connecting with the people that matter to us and and working on our, our mental health as well and potentially using this time to develop some strategies and work on some things that maybe we didn't have the time to, to work on previously. Mm. I think it's uh, one observation I've made is you kind of got to plan for phone calls at the moment because I don't think there's such a thing as a three, four minute phone call anymore to address one question. You end up on the phone to someone for 20, 30 minutes having a general catch up, um, which I know, don't think I've used technology as much as what I have in the last last couple of weeks for the last 10 years of my life. Well, given the uh, technology issues that we had trying to get this podcast up off the deck, I don't think we're alone uh, <laughs> in that sense. Uh, but I suppose um, for, for all three of you guys, um, over the last few weeks, obviously we've been sort of under these sort of heavy restrictions for, for sort of nearly a month now. Um, within the rugby community as well as the wider community or potentially other sports that you guys have touch points with, what are some of the impacts that you guys are seeing from a COVID-19 perspective with relation to, um, to mental health? So I don't mind starting on that one if you want to source. So um, my day job, I I genuinely look after anything between 100 to 400 university students. So often aging between sort of the 18 to anything up to 55. And there definitely is an an increased um, feeling of anxiety amongst people. It's the unknownness. I think as as human beings, we like to try and control as much as possible. And COVID's thrown up in the air. The the age-old reality that, you know, the realism is that we don't really control anything. 
Um, and I think the impact on that is from our guys is there's people react in very different ways and they're all very normal ways. Um, and I've got a range of students who are still out there exercising, doing as much as possible, socializing, they're up and really moving. And then there's others who are feeling quite isolated. Um, and I think that's an important point then is when you know your community is about uh, exactly what Kai's saying is touching base. Um, this whole idea around um, social distancing that the press talk about is actually quite wrong. What we're required to do is physically distance. And actual fact, I think what we should do right now is socially connecting as much as possible. And I think, you know, you're, you're, you're 15, 20, 30 minutes, and I'm the same as you. I pick up the phone for five minutes and half an hour later. Um, it's important to invest in that and know that actually that social connection is a really important part of growing your resilience to this whole situation. And we talk a lot about that from a paramedic point of view in terms of um, sort of this post-traumatic growth. So it's not, it's not just this is going to be an injury. You can really grow from this situation by reaching out and, and working on some of those things um, and, and connection to people is, is one of those things. All right, and Kai, have you, um, I suppose, witnessed sort of anything in particular or made any certain observations over the last few weeks? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to touch on, I think Matt's point about physical distancing is um, an extremely good one. And I'd love to see that language shift um, to physical distancing rather than social distancing. Because um, I think social distancing sends the, the wrong message. Um, we still want to be as connected as we can, um, you know, with, with those that we care about. And I, I think it's a very similar sort of thing to what I'm noticing to what Matt was suggesting around, you know, this level of uncertainty and, and coming to terms with the fact that, as he said, we, life is very uncertain. It's just typically we, we have our routines in place you know, we get up, we go to work or whatever it might be that sort of gives us a sense of control and a sense of certainty. And that uncertainty is creating a lot of you know, anxiousness and stress and fear and panic in people. And in particular with athletes, there's this sense of, you know, how do I, how do I fit in in this, in this new world, I suppose, um, you know, whether their identities are being caught up in, you know, their sport or their their work or whatever it might be, that it is large parts of our life and then all of a sudden that's no longer longer there. And especially those that are, have been working towards something. So whether it's the Olympic Games or the start of a new season, you know, we, we put a lot of work in. You know, pre-seasons are, are absolutely brutal. Um, you know, people are putting through their bodies through a lot, working towards a specific goal and then all of a sudden that's been been taken away so that sense of you know well what am I working towards what's what's my purpose at the moment um is something that I found that people are tend to be struggling struggling with yeah well, I think generally the the uncertain nature of sport being like we don't know what's going to return and when because it's all sort of uh managed by what government restrictions there will be I suppose is definitely a key point for some of athletes who are on the international stage so i know like a lot of people would probably draw a reference between the nrl hopefully starting up by the end of may compared to rugby union um, but i suppose the nature of rugby union is we've got a competition at a super rugby level which incorporates south africa argentina japan new zealand so all that international travel might mean that we might not actually get that sort of super rugby as we know and feel it up until next year and that's a daunting point for um, our players who usually they have an absolutely jam-packed year where you roll from super rugby into test rugby with the guys who aren't playing at the Wallabies level into 
club rugby, then onto national rugby championships. They have this jam-packed year where they literally have two, four weeks off at the back end before they start pre-season again. And right now, you don't know what that back end of the year's going to look like. So it's definitely a very daunting um, scenario for some of our professional players within the game. But um, even for our club guys, um, once again, hopefully there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel due to the fact that we've got competitions that are sort of based at a grassroots level in certain areas and regions, and hopefully they might return. But Susie, you're obviously um, entrenched within the club rugby system as part of your role, chatting to different clubs and people around the state, as well as our game development team. Has there been any particular observations um, that, that you or the other game development staff have sort of made over the last few weeks? Um, yeah, I think like all the points um, that Matt and Kai spoke to are also really relevant to our community um, rugby. But I think, yeah, that increased um, feelings of unknown or anxiety um, that come with and not the, not having the joy of being able to play and, and connect um, through, through the clubs at the weekends or through training. Um, and I guess those changes in routine. Um, and I guess to an extent, people dealing with the grief of losing something that they are working really hard and looking forward to um, partaking in. Um, But I think on the flip side of it, there's also been a lot of um, comments and discussion around how we can really use this period to um, reflect on what we do miss and the things in our life that we really value. Um, And just take a second, I guess, from personal experience, someone who lives quite a a busy and rushed life normally, um, to think about um, what parts we're really enjoying of a bit of downtime, but also what we're missing and what we can't wait to get back to um, when we return to so-called normal, the new norm or whatever that might look like. And I think that's a similar message that comes out of the community is um, it's a good uh, indication of how strong our support networks are and how much those around us in, in club rugby and community rugby really mean and what a positive impact they do have on our life every day that we might normally take for granted. Um, so I guess that's a bit of a, a positive spin on it, but a way that people are thinking in the community. Um, and it's a good lesson to remind yourself of. Uh, definitely. Um, now, one key stat, Susie, that you pulled out um, for this podcast was on Good Friday this year, we saw 3,200 calls in a day. Through It was Lifeline's busiest day ever. Um, obviously, it's a large number of calls, but I suppose from a positive point of view, there's, there's definitely a lot of people that are actually willing to reach out for help, which is probably a change in, you know, the stigma that we've sort of spoke about at the sort of the start of the podcast. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really important thing to, to think about and to discuss is that um, everyone has mental health as, as both Ty and Matt have discussed early on in this podcast. And, you know, the, the strength that it takes to be vulnerable and reach out to help if, if you think you need it is really important and um, kind of this idea that actually discussing your emotions and being able to talk and acknowledge your own emotions even only internally, um, you know, it makes you stronger. It doesn't make you weaker. And this period, I really hope, is I've seen such an increase in discussion around the importance of mental health and mental well-being and it's really brought it to the forefront uh, potentially not in in the best circumstances, but it has um, been a positive that maybe I just hope that following this period, we will continue to have these discussions and actually check in with our mates properly and, and listen when we ask them how they're doing. And 
gain those skills to equip ourselves to respond appropriately if a friend tells us that they're not doing so great. Um, and yeah, I think that obviously people reaching out for to Lifeline shows that um, there's a really big increase in anxiety and, and potentially depression and how people are feeling uneasy at this time. But what we should take away from it is how lucky and how good it is that we have those support services that the government is putting more money into um, and telehealth sessions that you can access a psychologist um, through a GP referral um, that really are there for us and that can help us get through this period and, and optimise ourselves beyond that as well. Yeah, and if it's okay, I'll just touch on something there as, as well is um, a lot of the messages I try and send to people as well is you don't need to um, just speak to someone when you know you, it's at that stage of, of mental illness or um, a great deal of anxiety or, or feeling depressed. Um, you know, you you can see someone to just have a check in. The analogy I, I always use is we don't just take our car into the mechanic when you know the the engine's blown up or um, we we need to replace a tire or, or something. I'm not a car person. Um, but, you know, we take it in to get a service, to, to check in, to make sure that it's running at its optimal level. And it's the same with our, our mental health as well. You don't just need to see someone when things are going really bad. You can see someone as a proactive sort of step to, to learn some strategies and to discuss ways to, to make sure your mental health is always um, at the, at, well, performing at its, its highest level. I totally, totally agree with Kai there. Um, in the kind of the injury way of looking at it is that prehab's better than rehab. Um, so it's being proactive and taking charge ourselves is really important, even if we are feeling in a good place at any time point. I think that's probably a key, key thing to think about there. And it's a good analogy, Kai, in terms of while there's definitely a lot of um, anxiety and potential depression and sort of negative mental health stigmas sort of around the COVID-19 situation. We're also seeing some positive um, come out of it in terms of, as you guys have mentioned, how connected people are being with other people in terms of finding new ways to chat, whether that's on Zoom, uh, FaceTime, phone call, um, or in terms of actually within individuals, people being able to be self-aware and actually think about how they're feeling or, um, you know, acknowledging their own emotions um obviously while you know as we mentioned there's a lot to deal with in terms of the negative side of things there's definitely some you know a silver lining to the scenario in, in that sense from my from my point of view i think again source we talked about this before um i think it's really easy to look at the negative and especially when it comes to press i think it's really easy to to, to sort of feed into that so much and we all know that negative press is what sells and, and that's what they sort of feed off um but there's this whole idea of um using the opportunity which is COVID-19 right now which is quite um no one's ever been through this in our generation really and it's quite a traumatic situation so this whole idea of post-traumatic growth um and thinking about what are the things that we're going to do and obviously Queensland Rugby Union has got a whole raft of things you can do that you're going to need to be a bit proactive with but actually what you're doing is you're, um, you're creating strength for yourself for the future. So maybe in the past, mental health's not been on the list or it's always been something that you found hard to talk about or you've never found the time to get there and, and have that conversation or you just run away from it for a long time. Um, I think you're presented with this perfect opportunity now where you can actually start to have some time to have the conversations 
from a mental health first aid point of view to learn a bit more about mental health, to understand it a bit more. Um, and then from that moving forward, you're just in a stronger position um, to be able to react in the future with what the, you know, what's sure to be in the future, which is just uncertainty. Um, so for me, I, I would love to see the change of conversation as well in the next few months in recognition of that there is a lot of change and a lot of um, people lost jobs and other things as well. But in recognition of that is what, what have we grown? How have we grown throughout this period? What have we done to make sure that, you know, we really optimized this experience as well? And, you know, we're talking to athletes here. I know that's what they think about a lot. I know that they talk about training a lot. So this is just a different opportunity to train yourself. Um, in a situation that is is quite averse at the moment, but there will be a point where it, it isn't here and you can really take some strength from that as well. No, I think that's definitely um, a good point to touch on in terms of looking at it from a training point of view and potentially empowering yourself to notice things within while obviously also noticing things um, externally. Um, you know, a, a key reason why, you know, I, you know, passionate about this sort of subject and, and keen to, to help out um, is from a, a personal point of view. Um, I've had a member of my immediate family that's had some struggles with depression um, at a pretty serious level. And, you know, when this all came about, I just had no idea how to actually um, compute what was going on or know what I could be doing to assist. This is a complex area. Whereas, you know, had, you know, and this is only four or five years ago, had there been programs like this in place um, within the rugby community back then where, you know, I could have learned a little bit more about it, had some understanding of uh, what's potentially taking place or noticed little signs that potentially, you know, I could have helped prevent someone from getting to that point. And, you know, while we're talking about being connected with other people and how crucial it is at the moment, if you can empower yourself to uh, be more aware of how someone else, um, whether it's a friend or a family member is traveling, um, potentially you can assist them from, um, you know, reaching a point that you don't necessarily want them, you don't want to see anyone that you care about or anyone in general reach. Couldn't agree more. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about. And I think... Um... I have heard so many stories over so many years of, of people saying, I just didn't know what to say, or I didn't know how to connect, or I didn't know where I was going, so I said nothing. Um, and I think we're just beyond that now. And I, I think um, I absolutely see with the program that's happening here that there's a real um, caring about the community and, and a real willingness to, to challenge some of the status quo around the culture that perhaps used to exist there. Um, and I think you've got to question why some of that old culture is there about we don't talk about mental health. And I think a lot of it comes from just learned behavior. Um, but it was incorrectly learned. And we now know in the same way, if you had a broken leg, you wouldn't just ignore that person or tell them to toughen up or get on with it. Don't talk about it. You would, you would give them the care and support they need. And, and mental health is no different. In fact, it's far more complex in certain ways. I'm sure Kai would talk to that himself. I think um, it just, it's just a, it's a bit of a, strange phenomena really that we never really got our head around it but i think a lot of it comes from this idea of not understanding it being fearful of it it was the thing you didn't talk about and it's just about changing a culture um, and it's just a, such a great first step that we're, we're taking here together definitely and i think part of that that first step um susie you've obviously put together a bit of a, a i suppose a pdf document that sort of outlines some key things for for people to uh, 
take take some thought into acknowledge um, as a starting point to sort of deal with with what's going on at the moment. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown on um, on what the information you put together and how that all links in with the program? Yeah, sure. So, so um, I guess this was a pretty um, responsive. Uh, I guess document that we put together that wasn't necessarily planned as part of the program and the um, information sessions we'll be delivering and then the mental health first aid training um, we'll be working on with Matt but it was just a really important thing um, to try and equip some people with at least um, some basic information about how to manage their well-being during this time because exactly as the other guys have said <laughs> it's unprecedented um, times we don't know how we're meant to respond or react and I think it's important that um, I guess people have a base of knowledge um, to understand what might be a, a normal response to this kind of global event that's happening and the first kind of tip that we have on on that list is to acknowledge your emotions and that it is quite normal to feel anxious or stressed uneasy or uneasy at this time and I know I certainly have done um, over the last couple of months and um, things like missing being able to be involved with community rugby and feeling a bit flat as a result of that um, are real feelings and acknowledging that they exist and that you're experiencing them and that they are a valid um, and not thinking that well someone else is worse off or you know I guess squashing those emotions down is really really important because what you're feeling is really important too um, and I think in that anxiety and flurry remembering that um, scientific ex experts are working um, globally for us to, to try and resolve this and we're in a really great position in, Aust in Australia there um, but yeah telling yourself that it's okay to feel that what you're feeling and you have support networks around you is really important. Absolutely. I think that's a, um, a really important um, sort of tip for people. One of the things that I've noticed in the, in the community, both in the you know, sport and performance community, as well as others, is there's a lot of messages going around, um, you know, self-help messages about, um, you know, maximising you know, the opportunity at the moment and things like that, which is, I think, learning from it and growing from it's really important. But we don't want to put pressure on ourselves and compare ourselves to other people and go, oh, but look what such and such has done. He's um, read five books today and all I've done is watch Netflix. Um, you know, it's, it's just about doing your best, you know, each day if doing your best is going for a 10K run, um, pumping in a weight session and reading a book, then that's, that's awesome. If doing your best is, you know, sitting on the couch today because you're feeling a little bit low and watching your favourite Netflix series, you know, that's, a, that's okay as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to acknowledge that, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's going to deal with these sort of things within their own, um, within their own way. Um, and that's, you know, in terms of dealing with your mates and things like that during this time, it's important to take that into account. And, but I suppose on the next point that you've got in the spreadsheet, and this is sort of an interesting one, given that, you know, I work in with the media space is managing the media consumption. So, you know, I'd, the general news cycle works in that, you know, whether it's TV networks or news networks, they're fighting for a story, they're wanting to get the story out first. And often, you know, a full list of, of fact or, you know, making sure that the messaging and all that sort of stuff is on point can sometimes fall secondary to being first in with the news. 
So in terms of managing your media consumption and making sure that it's correct and accurate, um, how important do you guys reckon that that is sort of during this period? Um, I can I can jump in there. Um, firstly, that I think it's sort of ironic that this is one of my uh, one of my tips, but we're here um, doing a podcast. But I think it it is a positive podcast around this time. Um, but I think it's it is really really important um, to manage what you are consuming and knowing that it's becoming that it's coming from reliable sources. Um, I think exactly like you said, source like the the media is is there to serve their purpose of communicating messages. And that is really important to us too as human beings, but making sure that we're exposing ourselves to, I guess, a healthy amount that we're able to emotionally cope with um, and manage well is, is really important. And when I say about getting that information from reliable sources, um, I guess getting, as a researcher, I say getting the non-dramatised and the true version of that information. So that might be from um, the Coronavirus Australia Government app or the World Health Organisation um, website, for example, and there are some really great, um, even Queensland House has a great COVID-19 um, website available where you can seek information. Um, and trying not to get caught up, I guess, in, in the hype and the, and the media exposure that does come as a result um, of the current times. And with that, I think also managing your general social media consumption. And I guess there's a tendency to spend a lot of time on your phones or on your computers um, at this time and making sure that you're really controlling, I guess, what's going into your head and, and making sure that you're processing, processing that appropriately. All right. Well, I think um, as part of, I suppose, that in terms of managing your, your media intake, it might be that you wake up first thing in the morning and have a look at those websites or potentially have a look at the Courier Mail website to see what's being written. But that essentially would form part of a routine. And I suppose during a time like this where we are stuck at home, um, you know, you're not having to go for, to work, your routine is not necessarily laid out for you. You've got to go and establish it yourself. So how crucial is that for individuals? And, and obviously physical fitness is a big part of that. Um, and how important is that in terms of, I suppose, um, and while physical fitness is obviously good for the body, how crucial is that for the mind then as well? Um, yeah, I think, oh, sorry, Susie. No, no, uh, I, was, I was about to throw it over to you, Kat. So uh, <laughs> off you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think um, as I was touching before, you know, at the moment it's, it, there's so much uncertainty in life and, and typically before COVID, you know, we had our routine to fall back on, which was work and, or, you know, our sporting routine, whatever it might be. So, having a sense of routine gives us a sense of control um, and a sense of certainty each day. So I think it's really important to, to have a routine, even if you're in isolation at home, you know, set a, a regular wake time, um, set a lunch. If you're working from home, making sure you have, you know, your, your proper lunch break and, and all that sort of stuff to give ourselves, you know, that sense of control over our day and over our environment, um, I think it's really, really important. And then obviously tying it into the, the physical fitness um, side of things as well. It's, we're made to move, right? We're, we're hunters and gatherers um, traditionally. So we're, we're made to move our body. Uh, and so the mental health benefits from that um, 
are quite huge. Um, the sense of accomplishment of, of doing a workout, the endorphin response that we get, um, you know, from going for a run and all that sort of thing. And if you can tie it into a social aspect as well, um, whether that's going for obviously keeping the, the physical distancing, but maybe going for a run with a friend or, you know, doing a virtual workout with a, with a buddy together or whatever it might be, I think is um, really important as well. So we've spoken a lot about staying connected. Obviously, that's really crucial in terms of touching base with family, friends, via different forms of technology. Um, but we'll jump over that a little bit because we've discussed it sort of a fair bit already. But in terms of mindfulness now, Susie, this has sort of become a bit of a buzzword in recent times in terms of training the brain. But give us a little bit of insight into sort of what mindfulness is and how it ties into mental health. Yeah, so I guess um, very much so in the way that we think about um, training ourselves physically, um, whether that be you know, specifically around resistance training or, or conditioning block or skills-based training. Um, we also have the capacity to train our brain to, to cope with or, or to have the capacities to um, deal with whatever stressful scenarios um, we might place them under. Um, and I guess mindfulness, exactly like you said, source has become a bit of a, a buzzword. Um, but that's also because there are lots of different ways to, to be mindful. Um, and I guess getting people to understand how, I guess, taking that time away to uh, use the power of your brain can really enhance um, your, I guess, enjoyment of life, but also your well-being. Um, and, and in turn, in terms of sporting performance, there's a fair bit of evidence now to show us that it can help um, improve aspects of our performance when we do get back to being able to play the game. So um, there's various um, apps that are available, such as um, Headspace or Calm or Smiling Mind is um, definitely a, f a free one that's available, um, where you can basically walk yourself through or they talk you through a mindfulness session. Um, and I might actually throw over to Kai to talk a bit more from a psychology perspective about how we, how we can see benefit there. Um, but it's a very, I guess, accessible and free way that we can really focus on training our brain as well as our bodies at this point in time. Yeah, I'm a, a massive fan of, of mindfulness, both from a performance enhancement perspective and a, and a wellbeing perspe perspective. Um, you know, when you look at the brain, there's a lot of research that says that after a period of time of practicing, you know, mindfulness, even if it's something like 30 seconds a day, feeling the, the water of the shower hit your back um, or listening to, you know, the words in a song for 30 seconds and really focusing on that. Um, the, the parts of our brain that relate to concentration um, and focus start to strengthen just like it would if we, we did squats for, for six weeks and slowly progressed um, our strength there. So what that sort of says is that it's, it's helping us manage distractions and by distractions that can be, you know, the crowd heckling you, um, or it, it could be the internal dialogue that goes around when you're stressed, the, the what if thoughts, the worry, the anxiety, and it's helping us manage those distractions effectively and bring our attention back onto what's important, which is basically the present moment, what we're doing right here, right now. A lot of the time our minds take us off into the future or into the past, um, which can be really helpful things for it to do. But a lot of the time it's, it's getting in the way of what we're trying to do right here, right now, which might be um, training, getting the most out of the gym session, 
um, you know, focusing on, you know, what you need to do to kick the ball between the posts to win the match, whatever it might be. Um, you know, it's, it's helping us continually bring our attention back onto to what's important right here, right now. Um, now, Kai, you mentioned previously, obviously, people are going to do different things within a day. So someone might read five books, someone might potentially binge watch 10 episodes of their favourite show on Netflix, but um, everyone's going to sort of be dealing with the scenario at the moment differently. But in terms of a sense of accomplishment, um, how crucial is that during this period in terms of um, allowing people to feel like they sort of walked away from a day um, with some sort of level of achievement from what they've conducted? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The you know, as human beings, we're, we're all like it. We all like feeling like we've accomplished something or we're good at something, we're competent at it. Um, so it's really important to, to have that um, scheduled into your routine. So one of the ways that I, and there's many ways that you can go about this, um, is, is trying to find a way to, to look at your progress, um, whether that's on you know, in your fitness, if it's running, whether that's in the gym or you're learning to play guitar as a, as a side hobby throughout this time, um, looking at, looking at ways that you can manage and assess your progress on, on certain things to help maintain that sense of accomplishment. And also, um, I hate using the word goals, um, because a lot of people tend to cringe when you talk about goals, but setting really small small goals for yourself each day. So some of the people that I've been working with, I've been getting them to look at, okay, what's one thing each day that you're going to do for, you know, your, your work or your sport or whatever it might be. And then what's one thing that you're going to do each day to, to help with, you know, something for fun, basically, whether that's learning a new skill, watching a TV show, um, whatever it might be. Um, so something for, for work, sport, that's important. One thing for, for fun. To, to help sort of, you know, when we tick off goals and we achieve things, um, we, we feel pretty good about ourselves typically. Excellent, excellent. Um, Matt, to throw to you, obviously there's lots of different um, resources that are available to people, um, whether that be online or over the phone, um, whether they're feeling like they need some support during this period. What are some of the key ones that, um, that you would be recommending for, for folks out there to potentially access should they feel the need to reach out for a bit of assistance? Yeah, so um, I think uh, Susie and yourself both mentioned that there's, there's plenty of um, key resources that you can access through um, Queensland Rugby Union. But um, I think from a starting point, and it's important not to overload people, is Lifeline is a 24-7 access um, phone line that you can talk to people um, uh, who are, and it's a confidential phone line. Um, they're trained in dealing with people in the whole spectrum um, in terms of uh, their mental um, health and their illness at that time if they need that help. Um, I think the people who you should be really thinking about connecting though and, and sort of reaching out to it are your, your people that you see most days. So for me, whilst we are very lucky, and Susie said this before, to have these um, professional um, lifelines and other aspects from a mental health care point of view, um, I think you'd be surprised, and many people are often surprised, that if you actually talk to your good friend, your brother, your sister, your parents, your partner, uh, and you begin to share a little bit about what's going on for you, that these people then become your biggest support, the people who understand you the most, and then the conversation around mental health um, becomes very healthy in a 
important part of a day-to-day conversation. So don't disregard those people who are next to you. Don't disregard um, your best mates. Um, and I think you'll find as well when you begin to share, others actually open up a hell of a lot more and talk about some of um, whether it's themselves who who are actually having challenges or whether it's their mates or they've known of someone. Uh, and interestingly, a statistic I think that's important to consider is that one in four of us throughout our lifetime will have a mental crisis or a mental health crisis where they actually need professional help. Um, and I think that's an important figure to recognize. You know, that's one in four of us. Um, and in a, in a situation like this right now, I think that it's quite reasonable to acknowledge that, that that's quite likely going to be a lot higher. Um, so don't discount the person next to you, just like it's on the field. Um, pick the phone up, speak to those people, be that, be that contact and, and be open with people. And I think you'll be surprised to, to what you'll find. I suppose that's sort of an initiating discussion amongst friends and family or even colleagues is sort of a scenario where you're doing your little part to, to change the stigma as well in terms of actually encouraging discussion, which is, uh, you know, an important part of the mental health first aid program altogether. And, and I want to throw it back to that for a second. Um, obviously, the initial uh, plan for the program was to actually be out in club land, hosting sessions for clubs, players, for support staff to actually take part in, face-to-face learning. That's obviously not going to be possible given the regulations that we've got in place from the government at the second. So um, between between the three of you guys, obviously the program's changing somewhat. Talk us through sort of how we're changing it sort of logistically and, and how we're going to be rolling that out um, over the next sort of weeks to months to provide some support for our, our rugby clubs. Yes, thanks, Source. Um, I think exactly like you said, things have changed pretty rapidly from um, the original plans, but just because I guess uh, we have to be physically distant doesn't mean that we can't help deliver this really important content, which is probably um, more important and relevant than ever and people are going to connect with really well. So uh, the mental health information sessions, which is um, about a 60-minute session, um, which just covers off really the basics of, of what mental health is and introduces um, some really, really key and basic information around signs and symptoms and how, how to manage your own mental wellbeing. Um, they'll be delivered uh, through basically online through, through some Zoom sessions, uh, which everyone will be able to sign up through um, their own GMs and their own regional areas um, to a platform, which we can then allocate people in, into sessions. Um, or have about 15 to 20 people in each of those group calls essentially um, and have quite a interactive, um, informative session around um, mental health um, literacy um, and also a bit of work to reduce some of the stigma there um, and leave lots of time to have some open discussions and answer anyone's specific questions that they have. Um, so yeah, they'll still, they'll still be running um, as best we can. And then obviously when we do get to return, there'll be the opportunity to, to do them in person again, uh, which will be really great. Um, I'm excited to get out to a few clubs and, and see what each of their environment's all about. But um, also that we'll be able to continue that online um, resource for those that maybe can't access it um, and, and make it to a physical destination. And then we've had really great news. Um, the Matt shared with me the other day that we're going to be able to do that um, mental health first aid training, which is that um, official external accreditation that we'll be able to deliver again um, in an online format. So in terms of progress of, of what we can communicate and how we can educate and, and raise awareness and reduce stigma, that's, 
it looks a bit different, but it hasn't really changed in terms of the actual impact that I hope we're going to be able to, to have. Um, and we'll continue to work with clubs in developing their own individual strategies. Uh, things look a bit, a bit strange in terms of there might not be a mental health round this year, or we're just kind of waiting to see how that might all play out with Super Rugby um, and obviously Brisbane-based rugby. But um, in some form, we'll make all, all of that kind of, kind of happen um, and engage the community as much as we can in this process. And Matt, obviously, you know, while the scenarios changed for yourself as, as the first day trainer, how excited are you, mate, to actually still be able to sort of run these sessions and engage with the community, albeit virtually? All right, listen, it's just a pleasure. Like for me, I think sitting here as a paramedic and, and you mentioned before, like Australia's done, you know, pretty well out of COVID really in terms of the, in terms of the health impact and um, seeing my family and what's happening in Europe and everything else. I think everyone just wants to get up and, and try and do something. And for me, the opportunity to come and work with clubs, individuals about something I'm passionate about, about something that's had an impact on my own life and to share stories and to have those conversations. I think it's just an, an absolute pleasure. So um Super excited, I think, just to, to reiterate what Susie's saying from a mental health first aid perspective. There's over two and a half million people across the world now who've got this qualification, just like physical first aid. Um, it's a qualification that you walk away with, a certificate that you can put in your CV that talks to an understanding of what mental health is and how we have that fundamental conversation. Um, as a reiteration, there's an online component, five to seven hours-ish, um, and then there's two instructor-led components with myself over a week that are two and a half hours each that we get a real chance then to have that larger conversation. Um, so super excited to be involved, and again, just thank you so much for, for the opportunity. And um, for yourself, Kyle, while you've obviously had the opportunity to work with a lot of uh, athletes at sort of that top echelon of sport, um, with providing them with some tools to to be mindful of their mental health and, and deal with issues should they arise. How excited are you um, made to see, I suppose, people at the grassroots level of the game, be that um, club volunteers, players, coaches, um, empowered with some tools to hopefully um, provide some better assistance um, to others or themselves within this space? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I think programs like like this and, and mental health first aid that, that Matt's running uh, uh, such awesome things to be spreading out into the community. Um, I come from a sport background. I was never any good, but I love sport and being around the, the group and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, sport's got such a, an amazing opportunity to, to spread this message um, to people and, it's, it's great to see that these are the these conversations are starting to happen. And as I said at the start, I'm really passionate about um, trying to make mental health matter and and start getting people thinking about it, like physical health. And it's great to see that those conversations are happening and it's it's heading in that direction. Um, it takes time to change um, perceptions and stigmas and all that sort of stuff, but. It's great to see organisations such as um, Queensland Rugby getting on board and getting people like Matt in um, and Susie to, to start these conversations and spread these awareness at the, the grassroots level and um, hopefully it starts to spread throughout society as a whole as well. Yeah, well, I think the general analogy within rugby and sport is that, you know, it all starts at the grassroots and grows up. So if we can empower people at this level, hopefully it's something that, as we see, you know, athletes reach higher levels of the game 
is something that, you know, Matt, as you mentioned, whether they've done this training or have had some exposure to, um, you know, provided themselves with some tools to be more mindful in this space, they're actually better prepared for the challenges that they might face moving forward. But Suzy, you mentioned that the starting point for these sessions is going to be some mental health information sessions, um, which uh, are definitely a great positive starting point to start the conversation. Um, when are we expecting these to be sort of available for people to, to access in the near future? Yeah, so we're hoping that these will be off the ground in, I guess, under a month now. So um, looking at sort of mid-May that we'll be able to access them, um, which will be really, I think, good and important. And we should be able to run quite a few in quick succession at times that people can work around their, um, you know, nine to five working schedules that they might, they might still have um, or other activities that they have going on. So yeah, keep a close eye on that one um, and the information sessions will be out there soon. Excellent. And we're going to be providing some future information um, via some podcasts. Um, as we've mentioned, this is sort of going to be a fortnightly event where Susie and I are going to be chatting to um, some former players as well as some other people involved in this space and five people with some different uh, looks on, on some different insights into mental health and well-being with relation to, to rugby as well as life in general. So that's definitely something that we're both looking forward to. Um, but as a reminder, guys, um, there's plenty of support lines available should you need it. As we mentioned, uh, Lifeline's a key one. 13, 11, 14 is a the number. They're available 24-7. And there's a host of information available with regards to all sorts of different websites, all sorts of different resources on our website, qld.rugby, as well as all the information that we've spoken about tonight. You can find that in the COVID-19 section on our website. Um, but to wrap things up, guys, thanks very much for, for joining joining tonight and uh, I suppose starting the discussion around what's hopefully going to be um, a very positive um, addition to uh, the Queensland rugby community moving forward. Thanks, Source. Thanks, thanks guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Source. Looking forward to the next few weeks. All right, folks. Well, that is our first episode of In Touch and we will... Be back with you within a fortnight. Thanks again.